book of John, book of John. I'm going to speak of my favorite verse today. My favorite book and my favorite verse. It's probably a lot of people's favorite verse. Um, I'll give you a little hint so you can know which, uh, which passage. We, on, the, on the plane, I guess, to Zambia, we're going to have to wear these things again. If I can remember how to put them on. But uh, this is the one I'm going to wear, okay? All right, right there. What are you laughing at? I probably look better already, don't I? Should I preach the old message like this, Aiden? <laughs> My wife's like, no. Take it. <laughs> well, I'm glad she thinks I look better without a mask. I appreciate that, sweetheart. Um, yeah, so there's your reference. There's your reference right there. So I have it on a mask, and I figure if I'm going to go on an airplane for 12 hours or whatever it's going to take for us to get to uh, Qatar, and uh, I have to wear a mask all the time, I have something with a message on it there, right? And then uh, I have this hat. It's a little, it's a little bedraggled at this point, but some, uh, well, a good friend of mine gave me this hat. It says, John 3.16, uh, true story. So that's, uh, that's the reference uh, this morning. And... Uh, Let's, uh, let's turn there. You know, a lot of kids, this is the first verse that they would know. I find a lot of adults that, who used to be kids um, know that verse still. They remember that verse out of all the verses. You say, why is that verse so popular? I think it's so popular just because you have like, in, in, you know, if you can put it in a nutshell, I mean, it's in that verse, you know, the, the gospel. It's just, it's just the whole, all the components of that mystery that was just sung about there. Um, Really, our, 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 what God wants us to know about it, it's, uh, you know, it's encapsulated in, in John uh, 3.16. And uh, talked about a football game later today. They call it the Super Bowl, right? And you may even see it. I mean, a lot of times right behind the goalpost, you'll have some, I don't know how they get down, you know, where they get, they get, they get there in the fields with the cameras. Uh, uh, it used to be always at a football game, you know, one of those prime time or whatever, you'd see somebody holding a placard, right, that said John 3.16. How many of you have seen that before at a football game? Yeah, so it's... Uh, it's pretty common. And uh, so that's the verse we're going to look at uh, uh, here uh, today. And let's ask uh, God just to help us with it over the next few minutes. Lord, thank you for uh, your love. And uh, Lord, I, may, I, I pray that you'd help me to communicate it clearly, Lord, that, that beyond my voice, that it will be from your heart uh, to each one of us here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look at uh, John 3.16, and uh, you could probably quote it with me. If you can say it, uh, um, we'll say it together right now. You you don't have to. If you just want to listen, that's fine, too. But uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So as you heard there, the verse uh, starts out uh, just in those those simple, uh, but really the words that have tremendous implication for God, for God. And that's how the Bible starts out. If you've read the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. And there's few words, really, that have greater implications than that. Um, You know, you stop right there. If that's all the Bible said, that would give people a lot to think about because everyone has to consider whether, you know, they want to take God into account or not. And, uh, of course, there are are people who give themselves different uh, titles, such as maybe an atheist, uh, one who says, you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't uh, um, believe um, in God or that there, or there even is a God. Maybe an agnostic, you know, someone who says, I'm just not sure. I don't think anybody can be sure. And, uh, and of course, you know, probably many of you here, here today, you would call yourself believers. You, you, you trust and you, you've seen the evidence uh, uh, that, uh, that God exists. And, and, and so uh, in the beginning, God. And, 
And you know, the Bible really is full of the attributes of God and, and, and why, what they mean and, and why they matter. And I'll just give you a few of them uh, when it comes to God. God is infinite. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is self-existing and without origin. And if you go back, you know, you've got to keep going back. You go back to something. I mean, nobody, you know, nobody believes, I don't think, that, that, that things can come out of nothing, absolutely nothing. So you have to go back to something, whether it's dirt or gas or, or, or something. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I believe biblically that uh, in the beginning, God, there was, there was, uh, there was a, a, um, a person who was self-existing and without origin. And that makes a lot more sense to me than all of this complexity, you know, coming out of virtually nothing or, 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 or uh, an object, an inanimate object. And so the Bible says this, he is before all things and by him all things consist. So for God, the verse says there in, in uh, um, John 3.16, and his attributes are many. God is immutable. He never changes. Malachi 3.6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. God does not change. His attributes are the same from the beginning. From time to eternity, his character never changes. He never gets better or worse. His plans do not change. He's not, God's not moody. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm moody sometimes. And, uh, and, you know, I try to be a good friend. I have some friends here today. You know, some of my friends have probably seen me, uh, you know, good times on the court, not so great times on the court. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe even some mood swings there. But God, God, is, is, uh, God never changes. And, uh, and God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. You know, sometimes we hear that phrase, you're high needs, right? <laughs> um, God has no needs. John 5, 26 says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to his Son to have life uh, in himself, right? As limited human beings, of course, we, we have incredible needs. Our greatest need is the fact that we're all headed toward, we're kind of in that dash between the dates, right? There was a day where you were born, you were given life by the life giver, and, you, and, and, and you're in the midst of that dash right now, and there'll be a second date uh, someday uh, there. And we're needy in between, and our greatest need is to say, okay, you know, um, what then when that day comes? Um, you know, people have always been seeking in one way, shape, or form, you know, or another to, to be able to overcome, um, to overcome uh, death. And, uh, but God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Psalm 36, uh, 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. The word of the Lord were the heavens made. And man has, of course, made great advances in exploring the heavens. And some of the, 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 you know, the telescopes, the Hubble telescope and others, there's other means of technology they come up with to explore the vastness of the universe. And they haven't you know, reached the end of it yet, they've come to find out. And, uh, and it's incredible how you know, like the Bible describes the heavens are stretched out. And, and the heavens do declare the glory of God. He is all-powerful. We've gone through many attributes in the Bible. I'm just giving you a, uh, just a sample of them. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and will do all of my uh, pleasure. A.W. Tozer writes this about God's omniscience. God perfectly knows himself and being the source and author of all things, 
It follows that he knows all that can be known. And this uh, he knows instantly with the fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. If you're interested in, in, uh, in reading um, just uh, you know, uh, studies of God and the attributes of God, I'd, I'd recommend to you A.W. Tozer is a great author uh, in that regard. And uh, it is, uh, you know, the Bible says we're made in the image of God. And, and, and our ability to, to gather and retain knowledge really does come from God. Um, and uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a snapshot of his creativity within us. Uh, and, and, of course, God has infinite uh, knowledge. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is wise. Other attributes of God. He's faithful. Um, God is good. God is just. These are all things that the Bible talks about. God is merciful. Aren't you thankful about that? I am. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his compassions. They fail not. And the Bible says the mercies of God are, are they're, they're fresh. They're new every morning. And, uh, you know, when I, when I stop and think about how, God, God, how merciful God has been to me, it is really a point of, of, uh, of gratefulness. Um, I, many times, believe me, I have not deserved it, and, uh, and none of us do, uh, the, the, the unending mercy of God and his graciousness towards us. God is loving. We'll talk more about that this morning. God is holy. Um, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, Revelation 4.8. If you come back uh, next Sunday, we're studying the book of Revelation right now. It's going to be a great study. We just got started last Sunday, and uh, it's a wonderful book of the Bible, and it really shows us a lot about God's holiness. And uh, so we invite you back uh, for that study. God is glorious. He is infinitely beautiful and great. Habakkuk 3.4 says, And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was uh, the, the hiding um, of his power. And uh, so he's great. There's many, many, many verses in the Bible that just proclaim the greatness uh, of God. And we could talk about the names of God. In the beginning, God. For, for God, uh, John 3.16 says. So I'm going to give you a few of the names of God. Uh, just in the Old Testament, El Shaddai means Lord God Almighty. Elion, the Most High God. Adonai, Lord Master. One of the ways that, that God reveals himself in the Bible is through his many titles that give different aspects of his character. And uh, you say, why does God have so many, so many names? Because there's so much to learn about God. And uh, there isn't just one title that can describe him. And even these all don't describe him. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. You know, men, uh, uh, people in the world today, they long for peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. God is the Prince. God is, is uh, the author of peace. And, and through him, we do ultimately have peace. So Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And so it says here, the Lord, and we could talk, you know, we could have a whole series. We could have months and months and months of just talking about just that right there. But I just wanted to kind of give, you know, uh, give you some thoughts regarding uh, God. For God is that God. It's that God that we just talked about with all of his attributes. We just scratched the surface. The God who has no need. For God so loved. For God so loved. And so... I'm going to call this the, the great verse, all right? I love this verse. It is a great verse. You can't say it's the greatest verse because who can compare verses of truth, right? It's a great verse, but let me tell you one thing. Out of all the gods, you know, people have come up with all kinds of gods. We have the greatest God, and he demonstrates to us the greatest love. 
The greatest love. And men, you know, we like to talk about love. And a lot of times, we get mad at God if we believe in God. If, and we, say, we even say, this is why I don't believe in God, because he doesn't seem like he's very loving. And I don't, I don't like the way things are panning out for me or, or what things look like. And, 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 and so, um, you know, we're kind, of like, we're kind of like petulant children that don't get our own way, right? And so we say, God doesn't love us. It's a complex world. There's a lot that goes into what's playing out in the world that has to do with human beings made in the image of God that have detached themselves from their creator. And that's not the message today. But let me, let me, let me tell you something I'm convinced of. Neither you or I can love to the degree that God loves. Now, if you really study God's word, and if you really think that out, if you, if you invite God's, God's invitation when he says, come, let us reason together, you ultimately, I believe, will come to that conclusion. You know, many times, I mean, children with flawed parents, and, and many times parents, I admit, in our culture do terrible things in relation to their family. I've made mistakes myself. I love my children, though. Now, I'm sure there's times that they could look at me and they say, no, dad makes mistakes, but hopefully they know that, that I've loved them every day that they've been alive. And, you know, sometimes children, say, you know, they don't get their own way, right, or they don't like the way things are going in the family. They say, you know, my parents don't love me. Well, parents generally love their children, but nobody loves like God can love. And the greatest God that there is has the greatest love as well. For God so loved, it says here. John 15, 13 says this. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life. Lay down his life. And the great story of the Bible, the mystery that was sung about here, has a lot to do with a God who loved us, looked at us in our condition, and realized that, the, that there was a plan that was needed for restoration in our life that meant um, him coming and living here and ultimately laying down his life. God became flesh, dwelt among us, without ever doing wrong, demonstrating love to this world, but yet he died as a human being. He laid down his life for it. Sometimes people say they captured Jesus and they killed him. Now the Bible says that he allowed himself to go as a lamb unto the slaughter. He laid down his life. There's no greater love than when someone gives their life for somebody else. And Jesus went through that pain and agony uh, for us. So, for God so loved, for God so loved, the Bible says this, God commended or stretched out his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, okay? Now, when it comes to the feel-good kind of love, you know, I enjoy you, I enjoy being around you as long as you're enjoyable to be around, right? And it kind of the same goes from you to me, Okay? Uh, but you know, for love, for God, love was it was a choice. This this verse explains it. God stretched out His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, we were breaking His ways. <laughs> we were we were going against Him. There was a lot of ugliness involved in that. A lot of rebellion. You know, sometimes we I mean, uh, you ever seen the kid that has the meltdown in the you know the aisle there in Walmart or wherever? You know. We have meltdowns towards God sometimes. But you know what God did? God stretched out his love towards us. Stretched it out. And he said, you know, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. It's a love that, that really ultimately asks for a response, doesn't it? 
God commended his love towards us, and while we are sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world, it says, John 3, 16, God so loved, and he loved what? The world. <laughs> and so there's the greatest company, the greatest company. Now, you know, I, I try to be like God and make that choice to love everybody. And my human frailty and feelings stand in the way of, of demonstrating that a lot of times, right? For God so loved the world. When he died that criminal's death, he had the whole world on his mind. It was a love that was to be sufficient and offered to everybody. For God so loved the world. No restrictions, uh, no restrictions to that. The greatest company. For God so loved the world, it says that he, what? He gave. And, and true love gives. And sometimes people say, well, you know, I love that person. And the way, the, what they mean by love is, as long as they perform the way that I want them to perform, I'll accept it. As long as they, you know, do the things that I want them to do, then I love them. And if they're not doing what, what, I, want, what, what I want them to do, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some way to force them to do that, to manipulate them to do that, so that I can feel loved. And then, and then I'll offer my love back again. You know, God is not into performance acceptance. God says, I love the world. And when the world was unlovely, you know what I did? I gave. I gave to the world. It's a love that gives from the heart of God. And, and for God so love the world talks about the greatest generosity. And look, you know, I mean, I'm, when we go on these trips, I, we, we go to some places that are really poor. I mean, there's people that are just like, they're, they're, they're uh, collecting items out of a, a, a washed out creek bed, you know, from the last storm that brought stuff down through there, pieces of wood, cardboard, whatever they can find just to kind of fit it all together to make some sort of shelter. And you go through there, and then there's people, you know, they're, they're asking for money, and, and they're hungry, and they don't have... And, look, I mean, there's a part I wish I had to give to all of them. I wish I could help every one of them. I wish, you know, uh, humanly speaking, that I had something that I could give to help the whole world. But we're, we're thinking financial things, aren't we? You see, God, he saw the need, the ultimate need of every person, whether rich or poor, the ultimate need of every person was to have a relationship with their creator and to live eternally in the plan that he had for them. And God's seen that, like many times we miss that, you know. We're just living for the here and now, that dash between the days, who knows how long it's going to last. It's like a vapor, it's like a puff of steam, ultimately, compared to eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave. He was generous to the whole world. And uh, you know, I believe Americans are very generous people. Sometimes we get a bad reputation, but, you know, I mean, sometimes we deserve it, I guess. But I think, generally speaking, Americans, they want to help. They want to give. You know, they'll give to, to charities. They'll give to, 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 to nonprofit organizations that are helping others. But not like God. Givers are generous, but God is the most generous of all. And there's no comparison. With no reservations with no limitations, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave. And uh, for God so loved the world that he gave 
What does it say there? His only begotten son. Now, it's well documented, and I'm the guy, you know, I'm the guy that has sons, right? And uh, I am thankful, you know, my, I mean, my sons, they've had, you know, different trials in their life and, and you know, different, I guess, illnesses and, and injuries and so on. But all eight of my sons, um, you know, I, I'm blessed to have never seen them go through a tragedy through which they weren't with me anymore. To, get, to see them to go to, through agony, which led to death. And one of the, the most striking passages in the Bible is where Jesus cries out in his day of death, my God, my God, to the Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And there's a lot of theology there. There's a lot to be worked through as far as, as the truth and comparing Scripture to Scripture there. But what basically what's going on is when the God who said, saw his son and said, the same God, saw his son and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At that point, his son took on all the ugliness, all the depravity, all the sin of the world upon himself. And that holy God, that holy God could not have fellowship even with his own son at that time when he was dying. And I just think of just the agony and the grief that went into that dark day. And humanly speaking, it was probably the darkest day in human history. But yet, it was at the same time the moment when God was giving us the greatest gift of all. It was the time when God was being moved out of who he is. The Bible says God is love. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He did not hold back from the plan of his uh, of coming, being made flesh, dwelling among us, the only begotten son of God being born of a virgin in a manger, living a, a, death, a, a life without sin in this life, going to a criminal's death, and on that, on that cross saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But also saying, Lord, would you forgive them that are doing this because they know not what they do? Forgiveness was in the heart and mind of God. And, uh, and we know that three days later, Jesus Christ was gloriously resurrected to conquer sin, death, and hell. And what a gift and what a plan. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world. He wasn't obligated to fulfill that plan. You know, God was okay all by himself. He was more than okay. He was God. He was self-existing. Within the Trinity, he had fellowship. But he created mankind with, in the image of God, with a heart that could understand God, with a mind and a heart that could resonate with his existence. And they could look and understand what love is. They could, could perceive what giving is. They could read a verse like, For God so loved and process the greatness of that great verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the greatest giver and the greatest gift. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. Oh, man. Isn't that great? That whosoever. It's the greatest offer that there is. And sometimes there's been offers, and it's like, uh, you know, um, here's a, you get this, this, uh, this, this uh, off of a car uh, for the first five that respond to this. Or, um, you know, it's, it's just the, it's, it's the ones that manage to get in on the offer, right? And then it ceases to exist, Okay. 
That's not the type of author, offer that God gives here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, son that whosoever is the greatest offer. And, and, and God says, look, if you're able to understand this, if you understand that you're a needy human being, if you understand a little bit about who God is and how you fall short of his glory and his holiness, if you understand ultimately that you don't deserve to have a relationship with the holy God because of the choices of your heart, but you understand that he took care of all that. He stretched out his love towards you. He said, I want you to be with me anyways. And if you're able to understand that, all you got to do is respond to that. Trust that God is making you that offer. And it says there, for whosoever believeth. These are the greatest terms there are. You know, you don't have to put a down payment yourself. You don't have to make promises for the next five years. You don't have to perform in any way. You just have to believe. You have to say, it's like, you know, I mean, if I were to give you a $100 bill this morning, which I'm not going to, but if, if I were to give you a $100 bill, I mean, if you really need, you know, uh, see me, and my wife's got money. Um, you know, if, so, but if I was to give you a $100 bill, I'd say, I'm going to give you this here. That would just be a gift, right? What would you have to do to receive that? Just simply reach out and take it. Right? Unless I said, you know, unless I was quicker and I said, just kidding, you know, put it back in my pocket. But God doesn't do that. God's not tantalizing us. Right? God's not messing with us. God isn't disingenuous. If God offers a gift, then all he's saying is, look, would, would you be willing to take my gift? For God so loved the world that he gave. He's the greatest giver there is. That whosoever believeth. It's just believing that that's, that's the greatest deal ever. Greatest terms ever. All I have to do is accept it. Is accept it. And uh, whosoever believeth in him. In him. He's the greatest champion. This is a great verse. These are all greatest you know, aspects of the verse. Whosoever believeth in him. He's the one that finished the work. And look, man loves to come up with all kinds of other ways and think it's all the same. But Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why was that? Well, because that was God's plan. Jesus was the one in whom he was well pleased. Jesus did everything to execute the plan. All right? And if he put it all together and he did the work for it and he makes the, author, he makes the offer, then... He's the one that's worthy of us trusting in. And that's why he said, you know, people say, well, Jesus was, was arrogant. Well, you know, some, the saying goes like this. He, he was either, he was either uh, a liar, which we know he wasn't. He was full of grace and truth. Or a lunatic, which we know he wasn't. I mean, he, he was very, he set his face like a flint and he knew what he was doing. Or he was Lord. And so Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We can't say, well, you know, Jesus was just a good person. He was just another prophet who, who run the world. He, run, he really wasn't the way. Because if that was true and he really wasn't the way, then he lied when he said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so the verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Should not perish. That's the greatest guarantee right there. The greatest guarantee. And uh, have you ever heard of, uh, um, 
I was studying this a, a couple of weeks ago and reading about it. It's something called cryonics. Have you ever heard of cryonics before? And so it's some tech, it's borderline, they call it borderline technology. But uh, what they're doing is, is they're, they're freezing people. They're freezing people, and they're hoping that the technology gets to a certain point that they can unthaw them so they can continue to live. And actually, I mean, it's after they've died that they've done this. So it's basically they're going to they're have to bring them back to life. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be gross here this morning, but actually, for the most part, what they do is they just, they just freeze their heads because normally their bodies are so worn out you know, that they don't want those same bodies anymore. They're hoping that the technology will somehow make it so they can put bodies, you know, to thaw out their, their, their brains. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not making fun of that. I mean, I, it's not going to work. But I'm not making fun of it because you know why? Because the heart of man recognizes that they weren't made just for it to end here. You know, there's something about our being that, that, that we, we desire to continue to exist. And you say, well, my life's been so miserable, that's not the case. Well, in your heart of hearts, if you knew that there was something better, maybe, than what you've gone through, the Bible says that God has created a place for us to be in his presence where there's pleasures forevermore. And it's not the worldly definition of pleasure, which so many times is just self-destructive. It's God's goodness forever. And I just see cryonics as being... Sad because, you know, a little bit of play on words here is people crying out. It's crying out somehow to be able to overcome death. And, and, and many times it's people who love their life. You know, they've enjoyed God's blessings. But they don't yet, they've never recognized that God is the life giver, the life sustainer, and the one who offers us everlasting life. It's a promise from him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. You say, well, everyone's going to die. Every Christian in here is going to die. Well, the Bible talks about uh, the first death, and it talks about the second death. And the second death is when we, uh, if someone were to come before God in their spirit, being separated from their body, before the judgment of God, and the things that are written in the book of God, it says, is what will, will judge us. So, Look, you know, I mean, if you just take the Ten Commandments, all right, um, bearing false witness, which is, you know, in essence is lying. To my shame, I, I've lied before. I've broken, you know, I'm a liar. I've lied more than once. I don't want that to be a pattern, but, you know, how many times does it take for someone to kill someone to be a murderer? One time, right? And so I'm a liar. And the Bible says that I should not commit adultery. That is to think, you know, thoughts in your mind that, 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 that are outside of the, the bounds of, of marriage. And, and uh, you know, there's been times in my life to my shame where I haven't been as focused as I should be. And so in essence, I'm a lying adulterer. <laughs> and, and then Jesus said, you know, um, if, uh, if, if, uh, um, if you... If you let hatred reside in your heart towards another, then you have the spirit of a murderer. Now, I've, I've harbored hatred towards people before. Now, God's given me victory over you know, many of these things, but, but I, I've done I've had murderous intent in my heart, as it were. A lying, adultering murderer. <laughs> the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. And to my shame, you know, there's been times in my life when I've taken things that weren't mine. Now you're looking at me like, well, you know, what are you, what are you doing preaching today? I understand. I understand, but you know, I mean, you got some issues too, all right? 
And you stand before the list today, and, and, and you know, so far I'm a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. And I imagine probably most of us are too, okay? And so we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. And, uh, and we stand, you know, we stand before the book of God, and we stand, come down, we fall short of his glory. And so what the Bible says is that if we don't accept God's gift for redemption and for that to be taken care of, it says death. Now this is, truth in my flesh, I, I, I don't enjoy preaching this part. But it says, and death was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And they say, does God people send people to, to a lake of fire? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's why there's an urgency in my heart to give, you know, my favorite verse to as many people as, as possible. There was a, I uh, listened to a podcast recently of a, uh, um, a deputy sheriff, Mason Moore, in Helena, Montana, that was shot execution style, um, basically by, by a father and son who were just off in left field. And many times, I guess I didn't realize this, police officers, at least this police officer did, and we have some police officers, I'm, I'm not sure how common this is, but he, he had left in a, in a secure place a note for his wife, Jody, in case he, he ever died in the line of duty. And the note basically said, my desire was to be with you forever. I love you. That's not going to be the case now. I wanted to be your protector for all of your life until death do us part. And I'm paraphrasing, but he just gave her heart, his heart to, to her, knowing that if she ever read that, he wasn't going to be with her there anymore. We look at situations like that, and that was a, that was a good man, you know? He was a deputy sheriff, Mason Moore. You can look it up and read more about him. He wasn't able to overcome death. And being a good man, comparatively speaking, doesn't send anybody to heaven. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the one perfect man to our account, that puts us right with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But what's it say? But have everlasting life. And that word but there is the greatest contract, uh, a contrast, the greatest contrast between life and perishing, right? There's no greater contrast that no one should have to perish but ha instead have everlasting life. And that is the greatest certainty. The greatest certainty promised by God. Listen to this. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, nobody can know that. Well, the Bible promises otherwise. And everlasting life is the greatest possession offered to you by the one who gave uh, you life to begin with. And so the question is, you know, this is one verse in the Bible. Hearing that, does it move your heart at all? Do you feel like the Lord has convinced you with some truth here today? If he has, that's a gift that's being offered to you. It's a gift that's being offered. This is a week of love, right? And, uh, and we think about love, and we think about those that we'd like to be with forever, and, and we know that, humanly speaking, that's not possible here on earth. And some of us have lost loved ones even this last year. 
But God has made a way to be with the one that loves us most forever. And the one opportunity we have to be with the ones that we love, biblically, forever, is to accept that gift that he gives us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we've been able to have together.